Hello, and welcome to The Shining Light, where we are shining the light of the gospel and speaking the truth in love, providing strength, and stirring the hearts of our listeners. We are so glad to have you joining us today as you listen to this message from Pastor Tim Cruz. The Lord is looking for those who have a heart for Him, and I'm thankful for it. As I mentioned, this is Family Month, and I was thinking here lately how quickly our children have grown up and how thankful I am for grandchildren and uh, how God has blessed us. We rejoice in that. I heard one pastor say it this way. I've seen the lights of London. I've seen the lights of Rome. But the best thing I've ever seen is the taillights of my son's car taking the grandchildren home. <laughs> and so I thought about that. Uh, there are advantages to being a grandparent. Isn't that right? How many grandparents we have here? And so I rejoice in God's goodness. But I think about our text this morning. I want you to stand with me and uh, let's look in God's word together at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you'll just find your place there. I want us to read the very last verse and then we're going to look at this passage of scripture as I preach a message entitled, The Greatest of These is Love. The Greatest of These is Love. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13, let's read it together aloud. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Underline that, the greatest of these is charity. Thank you, you may be seated. As you look at this verse of scripture here, you find faith, hope, and charity or love. We could study the adventure of faith, the advantage of hope, but God puts his emphasis here on the advancement of love. Love is beyond faith and hope. It moves your life forward and enriches it like nothing else. Love for one another and for God lasts into eternity, one writer said, while faith and hope are realized and will not. One day our faith and our hope will become sight, right? But yet love will continue throughout eternity. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to London a few times, and I mentioned to you about Charles Spurgeon and uh, the great Metropolitan Tabernacle. We published a booklet some time back, and uh, it highlights a message he preached when a preacher is downcast. A pastor of some 40 years talked to me about this last year. He said, remember when you published that? I ordered a number of copies and gave it out to my preacher friends. It was a great encouragement to me. But I thought about Charles Spurgeon, and I thought about how God mightily used him as pastor there of Metropolitan Tabernacle for 38 years. He lived from 1834 to 1892. While being mightily used of God, he suffered much physical pain and reoccurring bouts of depression. From age 43 until he died at age 57, he did not enjoy one well day, suffering from rheumatoid arthritis, a kidney ailment known as Bright's disease, and gout, 
Think of that. But yet he was so productive during those days, God's word buoyed him up over the sea of proving time and again. Such strength he drew from the Lord that he published in length more sermons than the 27-volume, ninth edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Mightily used of God. I think about what he said about Christ in his last sermon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Amazing. He says, those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend on it. You will either serve Satan or Christ, self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the livery of Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest under your souls. He is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was his like among the choicest of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yea, lavish and superabundant in love, you always find it in him. These 40 years and more have I served him. Blessed be his name. And I have had nothing but love from him. I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below, if so it pleased him. His service is life, peace, and joy. Oh, that you would enter in on it at once. God help you to enlist under the banner of Jesus even this day. I've had nothing but love from him. Now hold your place here. I want you to see another verse and it's found in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, turn there with me. Jesus is leaving his disciples and he says to them, John 13 and verse 34, new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have what? Love one toward another. Spurgeon said, I've had nothing but love from him. Just like Charles Spurgeon experienced the lavish and superabundant love of God, we too can know and experience such love in our lives. You say, Pastor, is it true that God's love is unending and unconditional? If so, how can I know and show such love? What do I need to understand about it? One writer said about 1 Corinthians 13, this so-called hymn to love was Paul's prescription for solving the sickness in the church body at Corinth. The believers had spiritual gifts, but they lacked spiritual graces and needed to be reminded why love is so important in the Christian life. 
In fact, he says at the end of chapter 12 and verse 31, I show unto you a more excellent way. I want to show you what path God wants you to pursue more than just giftedness or the display of these gifts. It's the display of the very heart of God, a heart of love for each other, a heart of love for the lost, those who need the gospel. That is what God wants you to see. God wants us to lay hold of the greatest thing we all want. We want to have it. We want to give it. But we're going to have to understand, number one this morning, write this down if you will, the character of love. And look at chapter 13 and verse 1. It's powerful here when you think about the character of love. Paul is saying, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am what? I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me what? Nothing. Nothing. The character of love, you find the word charity nine times in this chapter, is from the word agape, loyal, devoted, selfless love that is manifested through affection and benevolence. It's not just a sentiment, but also a testament of good faith and wholehearted commitment. This is ultimately that which acts in conformity to the character and nature of God, one is written. It is not benevolence in and of itself, yet produces it. It is not motivated by external circumstances, yet acts appropriately in response to them. The definition of love, the distinction of love. What sets your life apart is not your gifts, it's your love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, not that you're so gifted, not that you give so much, not that you serve so much, is that you love so much. Let me ask you, what kind of of servant of Christ are you? One who is so caught up in what you do for others, wishing others would do more for you, or you would get more recognition for what you do? Or are you motivated by a heart of love, which is a heart of giving, expecting nothing in return? That's the very definition and distinction of love. That's what sets us apart. Others not only lose when we don't love, but so do we. Paul said, I am nothing. It profiteth me nothing. I can do everything outward, but without the inward heart behind it. Before God, it is meaningless. Love has powerful potential. Someone wrote long ago, intense living leaves scars. Think of this. The wear and tear of living and loving can be seen in many lives and on many faces. Those who cannot risk the hurt of love cannot know the joys of love. It's putting yourself out there. It's risking being misunderstood, misrepresented, rejected even. But if you want to know the joys of love, you've got to be willing to endure the hurt of love. Because you're going to see how love, it endures. 
no matter what comes its way, it ultimately is the foundation of our decisions and our response. I thought it was interesting. When 67-year-old carpenter Russell Herman died in 1994, his will included a staggering set of bequests. Hear this. Included in his plan for distribution was more than $2 billion for the city of East St. Louis, another billion and a half for the state of Illinois, two and a half billion for the National Forest System, and to top off the list, Herman left $6 trillion to the government to help pay off the national debt. Did any of you ever hear of this guy? Amazing. It sounds amazing. Sounds generous. There's one small problem. His only asset when he died was a 1983 Oldsmobile. He made grand pronouncements, but there was no real generosity involved. His promises were meaningless because there was nothing to back them up. That's what Paul is saying here, no matter what I do, no matter what I give, if I don't have love in my heart to back them up in the eyes of God, they're meaningless. I wonder how many of us today, that's where we're at. We're caught up in all we're doing, but it's not with a spirit of graciousness, gratefulness, kindness, it's a spirit of strife and competition and jealousy. If you don't see what true love is and yield to that, you're going to miss not only the blessing of God for yourself, but so many others are going to miss the blessing that you could have been to them as well. Look with me here in verse number four. This is powerful when you think about the commitment of love. Number two, I hope you'll write that down. The divine standard. This is the plumb line that God holds us to. He says, now this is what true love is. And let's go through it here. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. So think about the divine standard that God holds us to. Charity, the Bible says in verse 4, suffereth long. That's to be long-spirited or forbearing, patient, kind, to show oneself useful, that is to act benevolently. Envieth not, is not jealous of. Vaunteth not itself, means to, to boast or to brag. Is not puffed up, it's not proud. Is not unseemly, think about that. It's amazing, verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly. Have you ever studied that word? I looked that up and researched that. It means unbecoming, unbecoming of a Christian or as a person. Shockingly unsuitable, impossible, insufferable, intolerable, unbearable, unendurable, incapable, incapable of being endured or put up with. That's not the way love treats people in an unseemly manner. It's just out of place. It's not befitting. It's not easily provoked. That means exasperated or frustrated. Thinketh 
no evil, to take inventory, to estimate, to conclude, to impute, to lay upon someone who's always looking for the fault, the negative in someone, to discredit or discount them. That's not love. See, so many times we're saying, well, my love is not where it ought to be because someone else's love is not where it ought to be. No, there again, see, this is where we're at as a church in the season where God has us. What about me? What about my heart? You're going to spend your life, if you're not careful, never letting God sanctify you and make you more into the image of Jesus Christ because of everyone else and where you see that they fall short of being in the image of Jesus Christ. Why would you let others stand in your way of being made into the image of the one who saved you, the one who loves you, and the one that you say you love with all of your heart? Don't let others determine or dictate to you who you are and how you act or react. And oh, how we need the Lord's help in all of this. The Bible talks about not being easily provoked or thinking no evil, but think about it. It's talking about here too, rejoiceth not in iniquity in verse 6. To be happy about injustice or moral wrongfulness. We're grieved when others sin. We're grieved when we sin. Think about it. It says we rejoice in the truth. We're happy about that which is uh, verity, irrefutable, objective reality. We bear all things. The word bear means to put a roof over. The thought is to cover, to endure. We're not shining the light on everyone else's faults, are we? Again, I've never seen the drama that people let themselves be caught up in by living with that as a theme of life. That's one thing to acknowledge it. It's one thing to deal with it. It's one thing to discuss it even, uh, trying to figure some things out. But it's another thing to just dwell there, to live there. And it's like, no, I want to uncover. I want to shine the light on someone's faults. Do you know anyone that doesn't have faults? Truly, do you? We would all say, well, no, I don't know anyone like that. Why do we act like it's such a shocking deal if we find out that someone else has a fault? Not to excuse it, not to justify it, but to act like they actually have a fault? Well, of course they do. If nothing else, that's why we ought to pray for them and ask God to help them. But you know, to be caught up in that all the time is just that is to miss what God is trying to teach us here as his children. He says, beareth all things, believeth all things. The word believeth is, means to have faith in or to put trust in. Confident in the Lord, confident in others. Can you imagine this? When you love people or people love you, there's a trust there. There's a confidence there. You can't have true, uh, true love and that expressed in your life if you are just caught up in mistrust, doubt. I remember dealing with a couple years ago, we were still out here in the chapel, the old auditorium, and uh, the man would come to me and he'd say, Pastor, you know, here's the deal, here's the situation, and uh, I, I can't breathe, I'm, I'm just smothered. My wife's dad was unfaithful to uh, his wife, her mother, and she's terrified that I'm going to do the same for her. But 
that's not who I am. I mean, I love her. I'm faithful to her. And, but yet she is paralyzed with fear that, uh, you know, if I'm home late, where have I been? What am I doing? He said, it is literally tormenting our marriage. She needs some way to deal with this. And there are some people in life, they, they carry things. And rather than saying, hey, what is the root of this? They don't realize the damage that they're doing, the destruction that they're bringing, because they have got something in their mind that someone else did that they're projecting on another and so they continually doubt and indict and accuse in their heart, in their mind, that person. And in the absence of trust, believing, confidence expressed in that person, it is killing and destroying that love. It is just undermining it altogether. Amazing, is it not? And yet they don't see that oftentimes. It's like, no, this is kind of the way I see things, but you're looking through things in a wrong way, through the wrong lens. You're just missing the mark altogether. And so the fears, the worries, the insecurities that we pick up along life's way, if we don't acknowledge them and deal with them, but if we project them on others, some of us say, well, why am I always... Uh, tense and uptight? Why am I always torn up? Why am I always afraid? Why am I always just struggling and striving? Have you ever said, Lord, would you show me? Would you teach me? Lord, would you deal with that at the level it needs to be dealt with? Because your standard, this is a divine standard here. Think about it. This is what you say, Lord. True love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. I thought this was interesting here. The word hopeth here means to expect or confide. Think of this. I expect if I confide in you and I tell you my heart that my confidences are safe with you. There's been many people have gotten to the point to where they, they so trusted someone and they told them their heart and then that heart that confidence was betrayed. See, there's no love in that. We can talk all day long. Well, my, see, love is a sentiment. It's a sentiment, we think. I feel love for God. I, I feel some love for this one or that one, but, you know, that, that's good enough, isn't it? No, it's beyond a feeling. It's an understanding. Can you imagine that? There's a lot of wounded people who are carrying hurts deep in their heart they know they can never deal with openly or honestly because if they ever share that with someone or confide in someone, that trust will be broken, that confidence betrayed. And then they'll be indicted and made to look like something's wrong with them because of something they faced in their life. What a sad, sad misunderstanding of true love, and a misrepresentation of our God. Hopeth all things, endureth all things, to suffer, to bear up under, to persevere, to stay, to remain. It's a military term meaning to sustain the assaults of the enemy. Have you ever seen, I, I've, I've seen growing up, 
people, it's like, I've been hurt, so I'm going to push away and 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 push away, but that person just keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps coming back. That person said, any of you, you know what I'm talking about? I've seen that. I just grew up in that tension, that division. is always something. But then some people just keep coming back. They just keep coming back. I just think about some of the ones that kind of were in and out of our lives. It's like there's always be something. They'd just be pushed away, pushed away, pushed away. Then all of a sudden you turn around and it's like, well, what are you doing here? What are you doing back? I just wanted to check on y'all and see how things are going. And uh, I thought you'd be far gone. I've tried every way I could to, to hurt you, to assail you, to uh, frustrate you, to vex you, to destroy you even. And here you are, you just keep coming back. You know, somewhere along the line you have to see that there may be some kind of love in someone's heart who keeps coming back to you, though there's been great sorrow or pain between you. That's what he says about true love here. It endureth all things. Charity never what? It never faileth. Meanings, means to drop away or to be driven out or off one's course. Because the Bible says that charity, it abideth still. It's something that's real, it's genuine, it's not going anywhere. Now that's the divine standard. The human goal is to do what? To try to reach up to this. That's our goal. God helping us. D.L. Moody said, God hates the great things in which love is not the motive power, but it delights in the little things that are prompted by a feeling of love. What prompts you to do what you do? I think about it. Lastly, notice number three, the continuance of love. If you'll study this, some gifts, they come and go, verse 8 and following. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am also known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Some gifts come and go. Once a perfect or completed revelation of God's word has been achieved, there will be no need for that which is immature or in need of being further developed. As a child, Paul is saying, we learn how to speak. But as a man, I learned what to speak, what to say. A mirror was made of a highly polished brass, and at best, it provided an imperfect reflection. But I'll tell you, the Word of God gives us a true picture of who we are and where we are. The one gift that remains is this. Now abideth. Underline that word. Verse 13. Now abideth. Means to stay. Never faileth. To drop away. To become ineffectual. It's going to be there. In season, out of season. What does the Bible say in the book of Song of Solomon about love? Many waters cannot quench love. Some of us this morning, you say, Pastor, there's a lot of water under the bridge between us. Here's the good news. It's under the bridge and it's gone. That was then. This is now.
Paul is saying here, you're seeking for these gifts, you're trying to promote yourself, you're trying to vaunt yourself in the assembly. He said, no, let me show you a more excellent way. God wants you to know that whatever you do with love from your heart is unto the Lord, is that which is blessed and that which will last. But anything short of that will not make that difference, will not last and will not be blessed. I just think that we all have room for improvement this morning. And if we look at God's word, we say, Lord, this is an area that I am coming up short and I need you to help me to shore up. Because the one thing that remains, that's what I'm saying, faith and hope is going to be fulfilled. It's going to be realized one of these days. But love endures and continues throughout all eternity. Love is willing to bear, to believe, to hope, to rejoice, to, to, to work through, to make up the difference, to move beyond certain points. And that's what true love is. And in the absence of that, we're looking for love. Sometimes we think, and it's not there, so we check here. And then you're not going to find it there because you're looking for something that doesn't exist. Just a feeling that endures, but feelings, they come and go. And you can't base your life on what you're feeling right now or a feeling that you're looking for. And I thank God for feelings, don't you? God made us that way. One country preacher said it's better felt than telt. And you know what? I like it when I feel God. I like it when I feel all of these things. But yet, when you don't feel those things, what do you do? You come down to the side of faith in God and obedience to His Word. And when we obey God, God blesses us. And sometimes those feelings not only return, but in a greater way. We have to see that. There's always hope in the Lord. We have to have that understanding and that commitment to be willing to love even to the point of sacrifice. I read this story by a Maria Dyer. Now, we've all heard of her husband, but we've not heard of her. She was born in 1837 on the mission field in China where her parents were pioneer missionaries. Both her parents died when Maria was a little girl and she was sent back to England to be raised by an uncle. The loss of her parents did not deter her, however, and her young heart from the importance of sharing the gospel. At age 16, she, along with her sister, returned to China to work in a girl's school as a missionary herself. Five years later, she married Hudson Taylor, a well-known missionary known for his life of ministry, faith, and sacrifice. How many of you have heard of Hudson Taylor? Now think of this. Hudson and Maria's work was often criticized, even by other Christians. At one point, Maria wrote, quote, as to the harsh judgings of the world or the more painful misunderstandings of Christian brethren, I generally feel that the best plan is to go on with our work and leave God to vindicate our cause. Of their nine children, only four survived to adulthood. Maria herself died of cholera when she was just 43. But she believed the cause was worthy of the sacrifice. On her grave marker, these words were inscribed. For her to live was Christ, and to die was gain. In a day when many are self-absorbed and care more about what they can get rather than what they can give, we need a renewal of sacrificial love. 
It was God's love for us that sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins. And it is that kind of giving love that our world needs so greatly today. When we love God as we should, our interests fade as we magnify Him. Our interest, what we want to do for our lives, gives way to what He wants to do with our lives. And I ask you today, would your life be characterized by a sacrificial love? What, are, what is God calling on you to endure right now? To bear up under, to work through, to pray through, to just get through, to get through it. By the way, the devil wants to tell you you're not going to get through it. They told Jesus, come down off that cross and, and we'll believe you. No, we believe him because he stayed on the cross. Isn't that right? So the devil comes to you and says, come down off that cross. If you don't save yourself, if you don't look after for yourself, nobody else is going to, including God. And, uh, and you've cried out to him and, and uh, your heart is hurting, you're in pain, you're in confusion. And the best thing you can do is just uh, take care of yourself. Save yourself. Well, you better be careful believing that lie. Because there's a point there to where you could really, really not only miss what God has for you, but you could never find what you're seeking for. Never find it the rest of your days. You say, well, I know it's not here. It's not with the Lord. It's not serving God. It's not doing God's will. It's not doing what God says. It's not there because I've tried that and it's brought me uh, sorrow and pain. I want to tell you, life's hard. And if you don't serve God with your life, it's not going to be an easy life. The way of the transgressor is what? Hard. You're going to have to choose your hard. One's going to be worth it. One's not going to be worth it. Choose wisely. The greatest of these, the Bible says, is love. What we all want to have and we want to give. Now, haven't we talked about some things long enough when it comes to getting closer to God and each other? Don't you think it's about time when we commit ourselves to the Lord and say, God, by your help, I want to do what you give me to do here in your word. This is how I want to live. I want true love to characterize my life. Thank you for listening to The Shining Light. We pray that this time has been a time of encouragement and blessing to you. The Shining Light is a production of Shining Light Baptist Church, located at 2541 Old Charlotte Highway in Monroe, North Carolina. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us. Service times and more information can be found at our website, www.shininglightmonroe.com. You can also watch our services on Facebook and YouTube and connect with us on social media. Thank you for joining us, and God bless.